I have the privilege this morning of uh, speaking a one-off preach. So we finished our series of um, Philippians. I'm so grateful that next week we start this new exciting summer series. And just very quickly to say on that, please, please, please do come along. The meetings are a bit shorter. um, The kids are a bit more involved. um, Different people get to do different things. Different people anchoring. Different people preaching for the first time. And we just need you to come and support them and to really, really encourage them. Uh, Believe it or not, throughout August, we get loads of guests that turn up, which is a bit strange. I I, I have this kind of nightmare sometimes. I wake up in the night and think, there will actually be a meeting in August where there will be no new community church members and only guests. That would be fun, wouldn't it? So please, 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 uh, if you're around and you can be with us, just come and let's see God move amongst us during this exciting summer series as well. So the title for my word, which will come up behind me now, is called Hidden Treasure, question mark. And I'm going to explain it to you, but I want to start by talking about Christmas. Um, It seems like a long way away, and it seems to us like a a long way to go. We're all here in our shorts this morning. Uh, I guess on Christmas, uh, during Christmas we won't be. Um, Everything would have changed. But I just want to share my heart with you about the kind of love-hate relationship that I have, and I know I'm not the only one, when it comes to the whole deal of Christmas. Christmas is obviously the opportunity for the church to talk about the Son of God, Jesus who came to earth. God so loved the world, he gave his Son, Emmanuel, God with us. Um, And I actually really love Christmas. I know there are some of you that are gloom and doom people, but I really like it. I love Father Christmas, I love the tree, I love decorating our house and all the kids come around with lots of food to eat and I can really get into it I know it gets more and more materialistic every every year but you kind of meander your way through that keep your eyes focused and you can just have a fantastic time my problem sometimes is what happens in church and what happens in churches loads of people come so loads of our guests and loads of our friends and loads of our neighbours. And some of you are surprised that you bring people along to meetings for the first time. They've never, ever been in church in their lives before, which is absolutely fantastic and, and truly wonderful. And you'll know that the statistics for church attendance over the Christmas period in this country, strangely, is rising all the time. Every year, there are more and more people that are coming along because there's a kind of intrigue. So here's my problem. Those people don't come back again until the following year. So I have this strange... So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Please bring everyone. Let's have more people at Christmas, just so I don't get misunderstood. More people at Christmas this year than ever. Keep asking, keep asking, keep bringing... But it's the people who come that I get frustrated with. Because they come in amongst us and they hear the story of Jesus. This is all going somewhere, by the way. They hear the story of Jesus... And, 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 and they get touched by it. Some of them, it reminds them of their past, their childhood, and it's already lovely and wonderful, and they get that we're celebrating that Jesus has come amongst us, etc., etc. And then we don't see them for another year, and next year they come back again. It's kind of like giving someone a book and saying, this is a really, really exciting book. The ending particularly is exciting. It's absolutely amazing. And the person just reads chapter 1. And next year they come back and read chapter 1. That's what Christmas is like for a They hear the first part of the story. Jesus was born in the manger. Next year. Jesus was born in the manger. Next year. Jesus. Have you noticed we don't change chapter 1? It stays exactly the same. So they're in, a, and they're in a ground dog kind of circular argument every year of their life. They only know Jesus was born in the manger. Jesus was born in the manger. There were three wise men, which they weren't. But anyway, it just goes around and round and round like this. And I'm so frustrated because I want them to know the rest of the story. 
I think Easter's far more important than Christmas, as far as we're concerned, because the resurrection of Jesus proves everything about Christmas. You don't understand Christmas without Easter. But very few people come to church on Easter. So if you can get an Easter, chapter 2, <laughs> well done. I, I, that's my frustration. Do you feel like that? I, I just feel, oh, I wish they'd know the rest of the story. Now, here's the deal. People don't read their Bibles anymore. But what is true is, though they don't read their Bibles, they read you. They read Christians. And I think that you are the rest of the story. I'm the rest of the story. We who have come to know the baby born in the manger, we are the rest of the story. People don't know much about Jesus, but when they meet people like you and me, they have the opportunity to see the ongoing story. I was thinking of some of the contributors in our meeting this morning from, the, from here and that came forward. You, you won't know many of them. I know them. And I'm watching ex-alcoholics, ex-people who were addicted to all sorts of drugs, people who were womanizers, people who have lived way, way, way out past, and I'm listening to them being <laughs> contributors, and I'm thinking, you are the story. You are the proof. You are the proof of the resurrection. You're the proof of the fact that this God who sent his son into the world to die for us <clears throat> has the power to transform people's lives. So people might not read the Bibles anymore, but there's an opportunity to read you. People need to see Jesus in very, very ordinary people. Hands up if you think you're an ordinary kind of person. And it's through people, some of you hesitated. <coughs> For those of you that are extraordinary here this morning, um, but there's an ordinariness about us, and we're fully aware of that. My preach this morning is to try and show you how Jesus manifests his life in very ordinary people. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given up over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And this morning, I just want you to grasp what that passage of Scripture said. This is an extraordinary passage of Scripture declaring lots of truths about you and I and why we live in the world today. You've got, if you're a child of God this morning, if you are a born-again Christian, you have treasure in you more than any of you realize. This treasure has been put in you, and this treasure is extremely Attractive. Now, I entitled this word, Hidden Treasure, question mark. The answer to that question already is that the treasure that God has put you in me, at you and me, is not meant to be hidden at all. This is not hidden treasure that no one can see. This is not buried treasure. This is treasure that's meant to be on display. 
This treasure is different to material treasure. When you mention the word treasure, you, some of you immediately think of Treasure Island and you know, a box in the sand that we can't find. The reality is this is not hidden treasure, buried treasure. This is not even material treasure. This is a different kind of treasure altogether. This treasure is real. This treasure is satisfying. This treasure is lasting. This treasure never fades. I think last week you would have heard a preach on being content. This treasure is full of making us content. This treasure is life-giving. Everybody on this planet is looking for this kind of treasure, and you've got it. Isn't that amazing? So you're going to keep it to yourself? Everyone's looking for it. Everyone's desperate for it, and you've got it. And for many of us, it may be kind of a bit hidden away. It's not on display, which is the whole purpose that the treasure has been put in us in the first place. Everyone's looking for this treasure. Let me just quickly, very quickly, as quickly as I can, remind you of what this treasure is. This treasure is the living message of transformation. This treasure is people who at the very root of their being have been changed. Everybody wants to change. Everybody knows they should be, should be changing. You and I have changed dramatically we are a new creation we have a new beginning we have a new heart we didn't do this we didn't work for it we didn't deserve it but God in his amazing grace lavished us and put this treasure in our hearts this treasure is that you can have a new start in life this treasure is the Bible calls it an imperishable seed that's placed within you now this is going to be absolutely amazing treasure because everything is perishable And everybody knows it. Everything you touch and everything, it's all going to die one day. And you've got something imperishable. I mean, people are going to give an awful lot to know what that imperishable thing is in your life. Which kind of means this treasure also is that eternity has already begun in your life and mine. We know that when we die, we know now, we have the assurance now that we will go to heaven and we'll be with the Lord. If you could sell people a treasure which is a guarantee knowing what happens after death, That's a treasure worth looking for. Well, you do. And you already got it. It's already there within you. This treasure is the power of salvation. It is for the first time in your life you know the forgiveness of sins. This treasure is that through the cross your past is eradicated. This treasure is the power of the resurrection of Jesus. He is alive in you and you are in him. This treasure is what Jesus described again and again as the kingdom of God that's now within you. And if you're a merchant and you've got pearls and you're, you're happy with them but then you see the greatest pearl of price that you could ever ever, you sell all the other pearls in order to get this treasure. This treasure in you and me is priceless. This treasure is about sonship. This treasure is about knowing your heavenly father. This treasure is being constantly assured by the fact that he is with us and doesn't leave us and nothing in this life can take away from us. This treasure is Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Here we go. Just hold, get hold of your coattails as I just read these verses. Or because of Gareth Southgate, get hold of your waistcoats. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace 
with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Are you still quiet? I'm not, I am back in the UK. I'm not in southern Africa anymore. Sorry about that. I apologize. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That, that's just a little sample of the treasure that God puts in you undeserved. So here's my question. How will people see this treasure? Let's go back to our text of 2 Corinthians and chapter 4 because there we find the answer to the question. And the first answer to the question is this. We are jars of clay. Let me read again, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. So... I don't know whether you feel extraordinary or ordinary this morning, but just to let you know, you're a jar of clay. That's what you are. It's what the Bible says. And when you think of a jar of clay, what do you think? You don't think of anything amazing. You're not going to spend a whole load of money on a jar of clay. Jars of clay conjure up a picture straight away of something frail, breakable, something that's temporary, vulnerable, weak, not impressive, actually. If you've ever been to the markets in the Middle East, you'll see this, there's just, just tons of clay pots everywhere. You don't go, wow, that's an amazing... It's just a load of clay pots. It's what we are this morning. We're a load of jars of clay. It's what we are. Not very attractive, pretty ordinary, missable. What a contrast that is. Just hear this. This is important. You get this to what I just read a minute ago. What a contrast the jar of clay is to the treasure. I mean, there's no comparison. It's just an ordinary jar of clay, and then you've got this extraordinary amount of treasure within you. Can I just say exactly? That is the whole point of what Paul's trying to communicate here. Go back with me, please, to this verse. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Look at this phrase. To show. The whole purpose of treasure like this amazing shining treasure being put in a jar of clay is that it's really easy to see it it's not masked the jar of clay is so vulnerable that the treasure within the jar of clay is manifestly different and on display to show it says here that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us displaying the treasure is not about you Destraying the the treasure is about Jesus in you. And so I thank God that we're a jar of clay. Because if I wasn't a jar of clay, then the treasure might not be seen. Our weakness and our frailty, and the fact that some of us feel we're not doing very well, is not a disqualification for the treasure being seen. Now what I'm preaching, you may not know this, (laughs) 
is quite controversial. Because in a secular world, it's all about me, 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 doing better, believing in myself, and one day I'll get there and I'll win. Sadly, that creeps into the Christian church as well. And some of you come from contexts where it's all about you can do better. And you can know this and know that. And it's about you and your ministry and what you can do. Some of us come from backgrounds here this morning where what I'm preaching was preached in the opposite way. It's all about you as a Christian. What we're preaching is quite controversial, except it's biblical. So it's not controversial at all. I'm so ordinary, some of you can say, you disqualify yourself. If you know you're ordinary, you're the first candidate for the treasure to be seen. I'm so up and down, yeah. I'm so inconsistent as a Christian, yeah. I am so obviously marred. Some of us would say we're definitely a work in progress, and depending which day you find the work in progress, (laughs) you make your own decisions. You don't have to become something special to display the treasure. And we've got to walk away from this trap. Some of us are saying, if only I was like this, then the treasure will be seen. Well, it may not be. Or some of us are saying, if only I was like her. I just need to be like her because she's so close to Jesus. And if I could just be like her, then maybe the treasure will be seen. If only I could be a better outward model for Jesus. Can I just say you do not have to become extraordinary in order to display the treasure that God has put within you. You don't have to keep trying hard or trying to improve or trying to be driven and trying to impress everybody. Has it ever, ever occurred to you, going back to this text of 2 Corinthians 4, 7, has it ever occurred to you that you might hide the treasure if it's all about your display and your impression and what you look like on the outside. Yes, we want to change, and we want to be more like Jesus, but it's not you that's attractive. It's the treasure in you that's really attractive, that people need to be seen. This is a real pastoral kind of burden I've got, that we as a people stop beating ourselves up all the time because we're not quite where we think we should be and realizing that if we're not doing so well, Jesus can be still seen in our lives. This is the word of grace and comfort. And let me get you into secret. There's no one different from you. You put people on platforms. You put leaders on platforms. You think, oh, they're amazing people. Everyone's the same. We're all jars of clay. And the grace and mercy of God is something we all depend on for this to be seen. It's the treasure in you that's so attractive. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul had to go through a painful process in order to learn this. He was going through difficult times, a thorn in his flesh, and he's praying for God to take it. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Paul wouldn't have been invited onto many Christian TV programs. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I mean, it's an amazing statement. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, well-known passage of Scripture. Just, I'm just trying to confirm how biblical all this is. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise, according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. Look, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He got hold of a load of jars of clay and he put his treasure in them. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the the strong. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's so important we understand our boasting is in him because we're ordinary, but extraordinarily, he's put this treasure in me. And my purpose in life is to find ways to let that treasure be seen by those who are around me. So the first thing is, people see the treasure in you because you are an ordinary person in a jar of clay. Here's the second way in this text, if we go back to it, that that shows this. And it's basically this, through living life. So I'm with my neighbours and my friends and my colleagues and my university students and kind of street in which I live, people around that see my life, and they basically are watching us. Even the ones who came at Christmas and heard chapter one. And will come next year and hear chapter one again. Maybe between chapter one and chapter one, and chapter one and chapter one for the rest of their lives, they'll see chapters two, three, and four. And the way they see it is because they see you as a Christian and they know that you're, you're going through what they're going through. You hit the same difficulties that they hit. You're going through the same you know, difficulties and temptations that they go through. You're, you're not doing so well like they're not doing so well. And yet, they notice that there's a difference. What is it that is different about you when you hit the same thing that I'm going through, there's something different. What is it? What is it? And very few of us were going to say at that moment, I'm glad you noticed. It's all about me. It's not. At that moment, you're going to say to them, do you know what? I really think the answer might be that I've had an encounter with God and he's coming to my life. And do you know what? If he can come to my life, he can come to your life as well. And he can change you. So we see here in verse 8, this is interesting, we are afflicted in every way. Whoa. This is talking about you and me, the jars of clay. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. So when everyone around you is being afflicted and you're being afflicted, the difference is there's some hope in you. There's something about you that doesn't allow you to get crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And look at this, verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. So this has nothing to do with heaven. It's to do with earth. Now, people watching. The chapter one people watching. And so through life, going through the same situations, there is this, and yet there's something different. What is it that's different about you? This is the treasure in you speaking. And what I see through this passage is when we're Christians... Life is a kind of death. Jesus becomes manifest every time I die to me trying to live this life on my own. Me trying to get through the difficulties on my own. Even in our worship, there was such a theme this morning of trusting in God when his promises haven't come and believing him and being rock-like and not changing. That is treasure on display. To a whole load of people around you who are trying to find something you can put your feet on, but everything shifts all the time. The Bible says, let's be grateful. We've received the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that kingdom is in you. And when you're going through difficult times, and many of you are right now, you don't know this, but people are watching you. And if through your frailty and your weakness, and sometimes almost giving up, they see something of this treasure in you, which is different, they're going to start to see something of the life of God, the life of Jesus in our lives. Every time I choose him and not me, 
Every time I decide to do his will and not mine. Every day that I say, Lord, today I cannot depend on my own strength. I need you to do this through me. Every time you do that, you kind of die. And something of the life of Jesus seeps through and can be seen by those who are around us. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for me. It's so important to understand that these early Christians, they just died every day. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die every day. Why? So that the life of Jesus might be manifest. Christians, all we've got to do is keep on dying. It's why we're here, so the life of Jesus can be seen. And every day I was in Mozambique, in Zimbabwe, and watching Christians under the most terrible, terrible, terrible conditions, dying to what they wanted to do and living for the glory of Jesus, I saw a manifestation of the rest of the story. Because this was the living embodiment of what Jesus can do in the lives of people. And no wonder dozens and dozens of Portuguese people, Portuguese-speaking Mozambicans, who have never heard of Jesus, are coming to faith in him. Because they're seeing Jesus in the lives of ordinary people who haven't run away, gone up the mountain, tried to live in a little Christian ghetto somewhere where we're all safe and nice and nothing happens, but living right in the midst of all the darkness and all the difficulties so that the life of Jesus can be manifest through them, through living life. So it's between jars of clay, and it's through living life. Now I want to close. I think that clock is wrong. Everyone's now looking at the clock. What's the time? Can't see the... Okay, dear, oh dear. When you're enjoying yourself, it really time just goes by so quickly. So my final thing is this. If it's true that we are jars of clay and his treasure is in us and therefore obviously it's meant to be displayed not through our extraordinary acts but through our very ordinariness, this treasure is no longer now hidden. So how, what are some of the things that are people looking for that are already in you? And my burden in these last 10 minutes is to help you to see how these things can start to be on display. I've got five of them. <laughs> Might not get through them all. Freedom, joy, peace, love, and hope. I think there are five people that everyone on this planet is, there's five things rather that everyone on this planet is really looking for. And those are five words, aren't they? Why don't you just notice this? Freedom's a word, joy, love, peace, um, hope. They're just words. Words are very interesting because words describe something. And my question is this, when we talk about those words being part of our treasure, are these the same as the world or different? So the world talks about love, for example. When we use the word love, is it kind of the same thing as the world's talking about? I just want you to think about that for a moment. Or are, are these words the same as the world, only just slightly better versions? So the world talks about freedom. We have, we have freedom, but it's the same thing, but it's slightly better. I want to suggest to you that if what we've got in Christ is basically the same or maybe the same but just better versions, that's hardly a treasure worth pursuing. Why bother? If all Christians got is a little bit more love, a little bit more joy, and, and maybe, yeah, okay, I, I, you seem to be a bit more free than I am, but it's, that's not going to be treasure worth giving up everything in order to pursue. 
So I want to suggest to you that these words that we use often in our meetings and worship, etc., I think they're radically different. At the very root of those words, everything is radically different. God has put something in you that's radically different freedom and joy to the world around you that has. That's what's the, that is the treasure. That is what's on display. That's what people need desperately to find that's so attractive. So let's kick off. Firstly, real freedom. I'm so fascinated by this verse in John 8, 36, which we all know. It's, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I just find it fascinating because I think this is where we're radically different from the world. You could have just said, if the sun sets you free, you're free. That would be okay, wouldn't it? But he says, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Why does he say that? Because I think there's a lot of expressions of freedom around the world. It's like Jesus saying, if the sun sets you free, you're really, really free. I mean, you're free like nothing else can be. No other form of freedom can come close to the freedom that you have in Jesus. Really free. And it's interesting because the world understands freedom, doesn't it? Let me give you a couple of examples. One is the world would say, well, freedom is when you're under injustice or you're oppressed. um, And it's completely unjust oppression. And then you get set free. That is what true freedom is. And we would applaud that. We would support that. There was a meeting here on Friday night supporting the eradication of slavery around the world. We're great supporters of IJM. This is to be commended and applauded. We want to see slaves set free. We want true freedom to come. That's the expression of the gospel, that you want to stand against injustice and go for that which is just. But can I just say to you that the kind of freedom that Jesus is is talking about is even more than that, because you can have been set free from slavery but you can still be imprisoned on the inside, bound. So if you're in prison and you go to an alpha course, did you know that apart from five prisons only left in the UK, every prison has an alpha course running right now? So you go to your alpha course and you get saved and you get put back in your jail after you've given your life to Jesus. You may still be in prison, but you're more free than the people walking outside prison right there. Which is why Chinese Christians who've been languishing for decades in prisons understand that those who put them in prison are not free, but they really are. The Apostle Paul himself, writing all these letters, he's writing them in chains. He's a free man. He may not be literally free, but he's free. And just take it a step further, you can be enslaved to circumstances in your life, but you can be real freedom. Why? Because true freedom is internal not external. And that's what's so attractive about you. You're really free indeed on the inside. Even if your outside circumstances look like you're all bound. No, no, you're free. And another expression of freedom is this, isn't it? We've lived in this for years. Do whatever you like as long as you're happy. Freedom. Now, in this country, we've been living under 50 years of that kind of philosophy. So here's a question. This new generation growing up, are they more free than any other generation before? All the stats say the opposite. They're the most lost, lonely, confused. They don't know what relationship is. They don't know what love is. So behind the philosophy, if you take sex, for example, it's been throw off every restraint when it comes to sex. That is freedom. True freedom. 
The reality is that has produced a generation that no longer know that sex is a wonderful gift from God. It's something that's abused and something that is terribly, terribly warped in people's thinking. It's just absolutely dreadful. Just this week, the latest sexually transmitted disease statistics came out. You have no idea how many people are suffering in the name of freedom. And we all know that the Bible says there's no sex outside of marriage. And you can imagine everybody think, you poor Christians. We're all out here having liberty and freedom, and you guys have got to wait to get married before you can have sex. Let me tell you this. The Bible says this. The truth shall set you free. If what God's word says about something like that is there and contained within this kind of thing called marriage and covenant and love and faithfulness, there's a real reason. And the real reason is that is true freedom with one person for the rest of your life. It's freedom. We're the ones who are free. It's such a burden for this generation who think they've embraced freedom but are becoming more bound as the day goes by. It's a work of the spirit freedom. Captives are set free by the power of the Spirit. Number two, everlasting joy. See, lots of people in the world are looking for joy. You've got joy in you. And it's not superficial, temporary joy. Everyone is searching for joy, but it's also superficial. You think of the most joyful moment in your life that you had outside of Jesus. And it could have been absolutely extraordinary for a moment. That's the problem. The joy you experienced was temporary. It just didn't last. That's not a treasure worth going for. Everyone has different moments of what their treasure should be like and how wonderful it is. If England had won the World Cup, I despair for the nation because if they'd won it, they'd wake up the next morning and think, well, it wasn't as joyful as I thought it was. You know, New Year's Eve up in London by River Thames. I'm no doubt some of you have been there. Rah, rah, rah. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating that last year has gone. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. And what are we still celebrating? We've got another year to go. Will that be any better than last year? No. Fireworks. That'll do it. Boom. And then there's that moment at 20 past 12. You hear the sound of the brooms. And the bottles of beer. Are being kind of weddings are amazing, aren't they? Fantastic. We've got a number of weddings going on in this church at the moment. How brilliant is that? And please don't, I'm not a gloom doom guy, so please, wedding, my wedding was brilliant. It was wonderful. It was amazing. It just wasn't eternal. Marriage is eternal, not the wedding, which is where you need to look at your finances, but that's another story. Anyway, so, so I didn't mean to say that. Sorry, Melinda, I didn't mean to say that. Um, and, and you can kind of go for this thing and the wedding's there and the party's there and it's great and all your friends are around and it's, the party's over and everyone's going and there's the sound of the hoover. I love that moment. The joy is just finishing right now, right there. Get out. There's another day. We're meeting tomorrow morning. What are you doing? Move on. Or, or I think the most joyful moment in my life outside of Jesus would definitely be the birth of my first child. I mean, I'm quite happy with the other three as well. But at this moment, this child is born, my daughter Emily, and I'm holding her in my arms. And it is just the most amazing experience of joy. And I'm thinking, I'm just so filled with joy. I didn't know where to laugh. I didn't know where to cry. I just felt this strange joy I'd never felt in my life because here's this child that's mine that's been born. And then something happened. The child grew up. And changed and became a child. And my joy sapped away from me at that moment. So the most joyful moment in your life, whatever it might be, I guarantee 
you will find that that joy doesn't stay the same. The Bible says this, no matter what our circumstances, whatever we face in life, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the joy you and I found in Jesus is not temporary. It's everlasting joy. And it's not only everlasting joy, but this joy is with you in the midst, you've got to hear this, of terrible, terrible circumstances. So I have friends around the world, Christians, who are in the most awful, appalling circumstances where life is being threatened, and yet the thing about them is they're manifesting this joy all the time. They're not waiting for their circumstances to change so they can have joy because they've realized you can have joy in the circumstances because your joy is in the Lord and he is your strength. So in the midst of perplexities, in the midst of things we don't understand, this everlasting joy never runs out because it's an inner joy. And as we heard in our worship, pain may be there in the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's just wonderful to know this treasure of joy. Thirdly, genuine peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The promise of the treasure in you is not only that we get to know this joy, not only that we get to know the wonderful things that God's put in us, but we get to know this peace. The world acknowledges our need for peace. Everyone's looking for peace. Depression, anxiety, everyone's stressed out, the noise and everything. And the world comes up with lots of ideas about therapy and meditation and, and, and all kinds of rec- recreation and retreats and Eastern philosophies, etc., 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 because it recognizes we need peace. Where can I find peace? Well, you can find peace, real peace, not as the world gives, <clears throat> but peace that Jesus gives. And you and I have got that peace. Number four, we haven't got time to look at this in detail, faithful love. God's love is totally different from the world's love. When you hear the word (coughs) love in the world and you start hearing about God's love, I think we all think it's the same thing, and it isn't. It actually has even a different word, agape. And it speaks of love and covenant, speaks of love that's manifest one sort of from one side and doesn't demand the other side gives back. It's an extraordinary love and that love has been poured out into our hearts. It's never changing. And can I just say this? So therefore, the way that we love one another with God's love and not our own love is absolutely key. Because our love for one another, go on, you can get him. Get him, get him, get him. We could have kept that very quiet, but I don't think it would have worked. (laughs) This faithful love, this God of love who's who's pouring love, therefore this love who's in us is manifest amongst one another. Love on display to a love-deprived generation where there are no fathers and family life is broken down and relationships are constantly uh, changing, which tires everybody out, where there's little of any community left. They see the people of God loving one another with God's love. That's a treasure worth pursuing. And finally, hope. Hope that does not fail. Is there any hope? Things are a bit bleak, isn't it? And when hope is gone, life is pretty much over. And when hope is gone, it's like people just give up. Just why the statistics in this country of the amount of girls who are self-harming has gone up by 70% in the last 10 years. Why? Because it's hopeless. It's why between the age of 16 and 24, more young guys in this country are committing suicide than any other nation in Europe. Do you know why? It's nothing to live for. Just give up. 
It's a terrible, terrible thing when hope is failing. Romans 15 verse 13. Let's close with this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I want to thank you this morning that your word promises us that the people who turn up at Christmas have got more opportunities than next Christmas to find out about this message. And it's through ordinary people like us. Lord, you've put this treasure in me. I am definitely a jar of clay. I thank you, you put your treasure in a jar of clay. And now, Lord, I pray that this treasure will be seen because I'm a jar of clay, because I'm living life with people, but I know you with me that makes all the difference. And I pray, Lord, I pray for everybody here this morning that more of the treasure will be seen. I pray for greater freedom amongst us as those who love you. I pray for greater everlasting joy to be experienced. I pray for a peace that the world doesn't give to really be manifest in our lives. I ask you, Lord, for a love that the world craves, but you've put in us that's so different. It's not a love that that gives up when people upset us. It's a love that's eternal and covenant. And I pray, Lord, that we will be the people abounding in hope so that the world that has no hope will find hope in you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.